0: to go through these, to be able to see the heart of this church and also the heart of the church that we're a part of. I'm part of a four-square church as well. I don't think I am the full expression of the body of Christ. I believe it's much bigger than me. And so I think it's important to be tied to something larger. And so we're tied also to the theology of what uh, the Foursquare square church believes. But heaven and hell, that's too big of a topic, right? It's too big. Hey, you guys got to shake your heads. Or i got to know you're there, like, like this. Hey, you want to know a way to bless? You want to change this church? I'll just show you something. Everybody do this with me. Shake your head like this. And some of you aren't doing that. We're going to pray for you. Just like that. If you do that twice as much, when Dan's, especially when Dan's preaching, he'll be way better as a preacher. Just right. And it just, he will. There's something like that. He will just flourish. He'll be. My mom is in our front row. She shakes her head like that. And one Sunday, she's like, and I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And so I started changing the whole message, like, well, I, you know, I could be wrong with that, and it could actually mean this, and she just, and it was just just changing everything. I get done, and I clearly must have failed, and I went and talked to my mom, and and I'm like, uh, you know, what do you think of the message or something? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I was just feeling so sick, I thought I was going to get sick, <laughs> and I was just, everything in my power not to get up and leave, you know. So, um, but here, even if you're feeling sick, shake your head like that. I'm telling you, you give an amen out there, we'll have revival. It's amazing. You say, well, I'm not, I don't want to volunteer in the children's nursery. Just smile. I mean, there's there's something in an interaction that helps. So that's a great way to help. Amen. So uh, I'm supposed to preach on heaven and hell and eternity. That won't take long, right? That's a lot to talk about, heaven, hell. I don't know if you know about eternity. It's longer than the service time. Sometimes it feels like eternity, but that's not what we're dealing with. It's It's long. And so I thought the only way to deal with this is to break it up. So I talked about hell in the first service, and you guys get heaven. Isn't that good? You like that? Yeah, there you go. So, and basically, first service, I just gave illustrations from the Super Bowl the last minute. And what it, what it feels like to, to watch. Oh, we won two Super Bowls, didn't we? I mean, technically. It doesn't go away, does it? The pain, the pain of that one last yard. It doesn't go now you guys are shaking your heads before you're like God. You're like, Neh. suddenly I get revival. Yeah, hey, you are right. I mean, I won't even preach about I won't even preach about peace that passes understanding. I preach peace that runs understanding with less than a yard to go. That is how bad it is. I, it's the reason I don't gamble because I have highs and I have lows and I've never had such a high with a low. So that's. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, we are going to talk about heaven and hell, and that might seem like competing topics to deal with, but uh, bear with me. I think we'll come to a place of understanding God's love. I want you to understand this, though, is what moment do we exist in? We exist in this moment, right? And so sometimes when we talk about future things, it can become a little eerie. In fact, when we talk about the past, it's like that. You ever watch those uh, uh, shows on ancient Egypt, and they always play the weird music like, like that, right? Well, the reality is, if you live during that time, it'd just be normal. It's like, hey, Chuck, how you doing? There's not like some weird music. Don't you just feel weird? Like, you just feel normal. That's the same with the future. Like, the future's all scary. Like, I remember I saw Interstellar freaked me out. Like, oh, I didn't like that at all. But it's all this weird music and everything. No, it's just going to be normal. Uh, what makes it unnormal to us is because we're not there. And it's just future. And so uh, with some of this, I, I want to encourage you that if you don't quite understand everything, it's Okay. Just let God speak to you in the eternal now. Because to be honest, I uh, I didn't come to Christ uh, through a knowledge of hell. I I didn't come to Christ through a knowledge of heaven either. In fact, those things came later. And uh, to be brutally honest, I don't, I don't know if this is brutal, but to be really honest, I, I, don't, I don't follow Christ because of hell or heaven. I'm, I'm glad that there's a heaven, but I actually, that's not why I follow God. I don't... This might, I don't know if this is heresy, you tell me. God, he has a button. Uh, God doesn't need to even give me heaven for me to serve him. He is so good. I mean, I'm, I'm really, I, I, I love my relationship with my Savior. I believe there is a heaven, but he, just, he doesn't, need, I, that's a grace gift. Eternity is a grace gift. And, and, and so, but what I want to encourage you is, for me, <clears throat> those things never necessarily comforted me. Like, there's people in the room who really love talking about those things. Others, you don't. And for me, I'm kind of like that. Like, when I try to figure out the universe, my head just goes like that. You ever have, you know, you just try to figure it all out and it's too much. Because we exist within the Petri dish. Like, we can never get outside. it. We're we're in here. You can never figure it all out. And you hit your head on the edge of eternity and existence. You're like, ah, I can't. And we don't have to. We don't have to figure that all out. Because we have a loving Father who's come to us and he abides with us. And and Jesus said, you know, you don't really need to understand anything. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you've known the Father. So we might learn that the universe is even more expansive than we realize. But Jesus said, you could just limit your knowledge of everything to me. I'm what you need to know. The character of the one who is everything has been abiding with you in the flesh as Jesus walked this earth. And Jesus abides with us through the Holy Spirit. So let, let God speak to you. During this time, but it is an important topic and we live in a culture uh, where there's a lot of challenges to I don't don't want to say traditional theology. There's just a lot of challenges to everything. Everyone's got a blog. Everyone's got information. Everyone's got an opinion. And there's certain things like heaven and hell that people are trying to reinterpret. And so what I'm going to do is give you how I would talk to my wife. Now, I don't talk with her by taking out a stand and doing a sermon. But the way I would talk to my four kids, the way I would just express it, like say, well, this is kind of how I I view it. And uh, if you're a systems person where you have this really elaborate map of exactly what I need to say, would you just give me grace and put your map down for a second? Uh, We all have our charts and we all have our maps, but they're all wrong. Okay, we don't know everything. We just don't. And so I'm going to give you some of the things that I think are central. I can't talk about all of it, but I'll talk about the things that are important, at least that I feel like God wanted me to address here today. First, let's read what Foursquare uh, says. The, my denomination and Dan's denom- denomination that we're a part of has certain doctrines, theological doctrines. And so I'll read what they say about heaven and then what they say about hell. This is written primarily by our founder, A. B. Simple McPherson. Uh, she wrote, we believe that heaven is the indescribably glorious habitation of the living God. Can you say amen to that? I think that's true. And, and that thither, she uses the word thither. Does anybody know what thither is? Ever heard thither? Hither and thither? So I had to look that up. So this is the Doug translation of Foursquare Doctrine. It says, we believe that heaven is the indescribably glorious habitation of the living God and that thither, which means towards that place towards that place. So, and that towards that place, the Lord has gone to prepare a place for His children. So, heaven is where God abides and also the Lord has gone to heaven to provide for a place for us to abide with Him. That unto this four square city, now four square is not just a made up term, it's actually in the Bible and it's in uh in the book of Revelations. The city of God is called Four Square, and the term Four Square means balance, right, in order, perfect. You ever hear of you need to have a square mill, like I need a square mill, a balanced mill. Uh four square is the kingdom of God. It is balanced, and so that's why this term is being used. They're using a scriptural term that we believe in this perfect, balanced kingdom of heaven. Uh, So, and God will take us to that place whose builder and maker is God. The earnest believers who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and have overcome by the word of their testimony will be carried. I like that word carried. Will be carried that the Lord Jesus Christ will present them to the father without spot or wrinkle. And that there is unutterable joy when they will ever behold his wonderful face in an everlasting kingdom where unto comes no darkness nor night, neither sorrow, tears, pain, nor death, and wherein host of attending angels sweep their harps. Now people are like, does anybody have a harp? Are we all in a cloud? Well, the scripture does talk about harps, and the elders having harps. But harps are often used as the glory of the Lord, that they'll say the sound of like thousands of harps. It's just this, mm, like this musical, you know, it's it just, you think of a bunch of harps all strung at once, just this wall of Glory. But anyway, uh, she writes here, uh, <clears throat> the, the angels, they'll, they'll sweep their harps, sing the praises of our king, and bowing down before the throne, cry, holy, holy, holy. And a lot of that imagery is from Revelations 21, 1 through 27. Now, here's what Foursquare says about hell. We believe that hell, I was going to make a Super Bowl joke, I'm going to stop and repent of that, and we're going to stay here. We believe that hell is a place of outer darkness and deepest sorrow where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, a place prepared for the devil and his angels, where there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, a place of grief and eternal regret on the part of them who have rejected the mercy, love, and tenderness of the crucified Savior, choosing death, choosing death rather than life, and that there into a lake that burns with fire and brimstone shall be cast the unbelieving, the, uh, abomin- excuse me, the abominable, the murderers, and this list here is from Revelations, the sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, and they who have rejected and spurned the love and sacrifice of a bleeding redeemer, passing the cross to their doom in spite of every entreaty and warning of the Holy Spirit. So there is a heaven and there is a hell, and I believe they both exist because God is love. And I'll get back to that of why that's important, but I want to get into some detail of a little bit of what heaven looks like, a little bit of what hell uh, looks like, and a little bit of some of the terms that Scripture uses to describe both of them. First, I want to get at this, though. Heaven is indescribable. The kingdom of God is bigger than our descriptions. And I think one of the dangers uh, is that Christians sometimes, because we want to communicate truth, come up with really simplistic ways to communicate things that are bigger than us. And we'll say, this is exactly what God does. You know, this is exactly how God works. My dad, would uh, he wouldn't rebuke me. He would discipline me in this in our church if I ever said, Yo, here's the three ways the Holy Spirit works. Here's the three ways. And he'd say, there's four, Doug. There's always one more. Then you think, you know, to, would you like that? Uh, somebody raise your hand and just tell me your name. Okay, get, what's your name? Andrew. Andrew. So I say, uh, for Andrew, here's the three things you need to know about Andrew. This is all you need to know about Andrew. Would you feel good about that? Would I be able to embody you with those three things? Could there possibly be four things? I think so. Maybe. And we do that with God. And here's the system of how to understand Andrew. If anybody did that with you you would be offended. And yet we do it with God, and then we argue with other people about our system about God. This is who Andrew is, and I know it. And if you don't know it, you don't know Andrew. That's not the reality. It's deeper. It's bigger. It's more complicated. We have our ideas. We have the Scripture to guide us, but we need to be careful with how systematic we make things. And here's an example of this, interpreting a revelation. Uh, there's a part of the revelation literature that is very poetic. And it's to express something that's beyond anything we can truly understand. So I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, in heaven, the streets are paved with gold. gold. The streets are paved with gold. The people who yelled at the loudest watched the show Gold Rush. But the, the, the streets are paved with gold. Now, so, now if I'm wrong, fine. I, I'm okay with being wrong. This isn't like... Has, but some people believe that literally the streets will be paved with gold. It also says in there that there's sapphires and rubies and there's all these. The most precious diamonds, the most precious metals are all described with heaven. Well, I think God is getting at something bigger. The, the kingdom of God is full of indescribable glory. It's bigger and greater. You know, God, who is everything, the universe is was spoken to existence, the cosmos, the, all these things that, that we don't understand, even that we see. The kingdom of heaven is something even bigger that we don't see. And so God uses terms we understand to open us up to a kingdom that's bigger than us that we won't fully understand until we're there. So um, during the time that the Bible was written, uh, what were the streets made out of? Dirt, stone, just dusty, just the road. And so to me, what God is saying here is, you know, the best thing on earth, Gold and diamonds and rubies, the, the best thing, it's dirt in heaven. It's just dirt. It's, it's the least important thing in heaven. The illustration would be, you'd be walking around and, and you come into the house and someone, Hey, you've got gold on yourself. Wipe that off. I don't want to get this place all goldy. You know? You've know, got some gold on your face. Why don't... It'd be like, get that dirt out of here. See, I want you, when you think about God, to always allow God to expand your horizons. God is bigger and greater than anything we could ever imagine. His grace, His love, His mercy, our future is bigger and greater. And sometimes we're really anxious because we're imagining things and we're nervous. And here's the deal. Even if you could really imagine it well, it's still limited. It's bigger. The dirt of this earth is gold in heaven. Or the gold of this earth is dirt in heaven. The dyslexic came out there. I want you to understand that understanding is enough, isn't enough to fully comprehend the future that we have in store, the glory of the Lord, the goodness of God, the beauty of it all. Now, if someone's like, I believe they're gold streets, praise God, I'm not going to complain. But I think it's even more. I think it's more and it's indescribable and it's greater. In fact, we have this thing where we believe things are only true if we can say them out in eloquent ways. Right? But here's the thing. Who's been married for more than 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay. When you've been married a while, and someone says, would you describe your love? Why you love each other? Isn't there a limitation? That you can't find the words? That it's more than the words? It's deeper. The spouses are looking at each other. Make sure you're shaking your head right now. (laughs) It's deeper. Yes, it's deeper. Can't describe it. That's great. <laughs> like there's parts of love that are even like your child, when a child's born, you ever have that it's just something, but you cannot articulate. It. There's a connection. There's something. Our existence with God is like that. And it's great to articulate it, but never allow your articulations to limit the fullness of God. They shouldn't be laws to keep people from understanding the fullness of God. It's just a starting point. And I think that's one of the dangers of the church with theology. And while millennials and other people are give up on the church, is we come up with these really tight systems, and then they can think of one exception to the rule. They're like, well, that doesn't make sense. And they throw the whole thing out. Well, I don't think there's gold on the streets. I'm going to throw it all out instead of getting to the deeper issue. Inexpressible is what heaven is. And the reality is hell, there's an inexpressible reality that, that we just don't understand. The terms that are used, it's a place of misery, it's a place of torment, it's a place of loss and longing. And so terms are used and we argue over what those terms mean, but we, there's no way to read it without understanding that heaven is to abide in the light and life of Christ Jesus and hell is to abide outside of that. In the darkness and torment of separation of relationship with God. Let me give you some definitions just on how the Bible uses this. We, we're going to need to educate ourselves. We, we, there's no way to control the narrative. There's no way. Well, this is Foursquare doctrine. This is Dan's doctrine. This is Doug's doctrine. The Internet is everything. It's everything. Everything is out there. Every, you, your kids, you're not going to be able to, well, just don't look at that. Don't read this. We're going to have to find a way to figure out what we believe. We can't just say, you know, Grandpa's fishing up in heaven. There's, there's got to be a little bit more weight to what we do. Because the questions are going to be there. And so in this context, I just want to give you some of the definitions here of Of heaven and earth and hell. First, in the Bible, when the Bible says heaven and earth, sometimes we think of those as two categories among a larger category. But heaven and earth is everything. The earth is what we see, and the heavens is everything else. Sometimes that's how they use heaven. So, He's the Lord of heaven and earth, He's the Lord of everything. And you think about their knowledge, their knowledge of space, their knowledge of you know science, those sorts of things. You've even seen, have you gone to a museum and you've seen a picture of how people viewed the heavenlies? It's really close, right? There's the earth and then right above the earth and above the heavens that we can see are where all the angels and the demons and everything, right? So their view is where is the other? It's just right beyond what we can see. But the view is the heavens are everything. It's where God abides, the angels abide, demons abide. It's everything that we cannot see, everything we cannot know. That's where the heavens are. Well, now we know a universe that's very different, right? And so in our way, my way that I would look at it is the heavens are maybe like this. The heavens are another dimension that we don't know of. Or or maybe the heavens are another universe. And I want to use scientific terms. Scientists believe there can be parallel universes. They believe there can be other dimensions. And and so God very much could exist in two dimensions. In our dimension, or excuse me, in our universe and in his universe. His universe includes ours, but we have not yet fully been included in an understanding of his universe. Uh, Science even looks at gravity. Scientists are... Uh, confounded by gravity because of its quality and its traits and they don't quite understand gravity and many scientists believe that gravity is something that may go between different universes. It might be a way, something, a, a trait that goes between two different universes, which is fascinating to me because that could be how we talk about prayer. That prayer could help us connect so I just want to use that a little bit when people go, oh, you bunch of you know stupid Christians with your hayseed ways. I don't know if they say that, but let's say actually science even says there could be whole existences that we do not see and that between those existences, It's even, I don't believe this, but there's some scientists who believe that there are multiple dimensions, or excuse me, there are multiple universes, and that the start of one universe is the two universes bang against each other and another universe is formed. Now, I don't believe in the Big Bang Theory, but it's interesting how the idea that God could speak something into existence is very similar to someone saying there was a universe that existed, and then that universe brought another universe into existence. So even these concepts, we change based on our knowledge of the world. We change these ideas, but the bigger picture is heaven and earth is all of it. It's us and then it's the rest and what we see and what we don't see. Now, heaven is more than that as well. The scripture also talks about heaven as a place of God's perfection, a place where God abides in all purity and holiness. God is always pure and holy, but in heaven, His will is done completely. In heaven, there are no tears. There's no sorrow. And here's the Lord's Prayer. What's the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is where God's will is done. Earth is where we have a choice to follow are not to follow God's will. That's another expression of heaven. Another term for heaven is paradise. Have you ever heard paradise in the scripture? So Jesus says to the thief on the cross, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. We also see paradise used in uh, 2 Corinthians 12.3. Paul is speaking about being caught up in a third heaven. And I think when Paul uses the term third heaven, he's talking about heaven and their concept. Whatever that third heaven is, it's not the earth. It's something we haven't seen. And Paul... Paul was caught up in the third heaven, and he calls it paradise. And I believe Paul did that when he died. I think Paul was beaten so badly and dragged out of the city that he probably died and God brought him back to life. And you get that context of how they dragged him out of the city as if he were dead. Like, if you're going to kill someone, they dragged him out of the city, left him there for dead. And he saw a third heaven. He saw something that was bigger. Indescribable, he said. Paul, who saw heaven, spent very little time describing it because he said it's, it's indescribable. It's something bigger. But he calls it paradise. We see in Revelations 2-7 that in uh, the new heaven there's a tree of life and it's called the paradise of God. Now I want to look at the opposite of heaven, the idea of hell. And the scripture uses a lot of different definitions or a lot of different words to describe hell. And they're not all the same. Uh, the Hebrew uses the word sheol or sheol, S-H-E-O-L, sheol. In the Hebrew, that's just basically the place where the dead go. And it's not necessarily a place where bad dead people go or good dead people go. It would be this. It'd be like uh, Grandpa died. Where did Grandpa go? He went to Shul. And Sheol's where the dead wait. And even in the Old Testament, there was a concept that they wait for another time. Now, some in, uh, where the dead wait, wait in suffering and in misery. Those who've rejected the righteousness of God. But others say they rest on Abraham's bosom. You see the story that Jesus talks about. He gives this story where they rest in the righteousness of God. And so that's where uh, Sheol comes from. So when you hear that, sometimes it's translated as, as, people translate it as hell, but it's kind of this neutral category. It's just the place where the dead are. And depending upon how we interacted with Christ or with God's righteousness, we're in different places in Sheol, if you look at that. Here's another term. Uh, anybody heard of Hades? Some people use Hades as a synonym for hell. But the Bible doesn't use Hades that way. In fact, the Bible uses Hades very much like the uh, Old Testament Sheol. In fact, the Greek Old Testament, the translation, uses Hades for that term. Again, it's a place where people go when they die. It's just where death happens. Now, some, sometimes it's used in a negative context. Sometimes it's used in a positive context. That's where Jesus It says he has he, he went to hell or he went to it's saying he went to Hades. He went. It's like the place where people are kept when they're dead. He went to that place and he took the keys and released them from that place because there's still a prison outside of the idea of, of Christ dying on the cross. Now, it doesn't mean some some were in misery, some weren't in misery. But until the cross occurs, there's still death that holds us captive. And so that's the term Hades used there as well. It's just important to know these terms. I know it's a little, a lot to come at you, but we need to understand that they're not all equal. When you come to someone and say, see right there, he went to hell and came back, we got to, well, the scripture's talking about he confronted death and where people went once they died, and he freed them from that death and brought them into life. Now, the term that we would use more for hell in the sense of a place, For the punishment of the wicked or a place that the wicked go is called Gehenna. And sometimes it's also called Tartarus. And that's basically the place where the wicked go. Another term that's used is the lake of fire in Revelation. That Satan, the demons are thrown in the lake of fire along with all of the unrighteous. Now, here's another one. I just wanted to throw these all out here. Then there's the new heaven and the new earth. And the new heaven and the new earth are different than the heaven people are in right now. There's a different heaven that's going to come. There's a heaven that we go to when we die. But there's a new heaven and a new earth that will occur at the second coming of Christ. And there's mystery to this. At some level, it means everything is going to be made new. It means the earth will be made new and everything else will be made new. Now, people, this is where the theologians argue, and I don't pick sides. I'm the middle child of the theologians. I just want them to get along. But there's some like it'll be a completely different earth, Completely different heaven, new. Others are like, same earth, same heavens, but made new. New creation. Who's right? I don't know. We could vote on it. It's not a reality show. We don't get to vote people off the island or on the island. <laughs> the issue is what? What's the word we should care about? New. New. Don't worry about all the people who like to fight on Twitter. Don't worry about the key point. It's new. There's going to come where everything will be made new. And it seems to be when the final judgment occurs, when there's no longer a chance to choose righteousness or to choose death, to choose life, there'll come no more time to choose. And when that point comes, it's over. And those who have not chosen to follow Christ are cast into the lake of fire, to this hell, this place. And I think, again, that's just an image for something bigger and deeper than we can understand. And those who built their lives upon Christ Jesus will be in His glory in this new heaven. Everything will be made new. The universe, everything. If there's animals, if everything will be made new and under God's authority. And it'll be good. And it's something we can rejoice in. So I just want to give a summary like this. This is important. if someone asks you, well, what happens when you die? You know, what, you, what happens? Well, what would you say? At some level, I'd say to my kids, I'd say, well, we're spiritual beings. Our spirit is eternal. We don't go away. God created us in his image. And we have an eternal reality. So even when we die, we don't disappear. And so when we die, the Bible says that we go to the place where the dead go. Now I might not say it that way, because it's a little troubling. Where the dead go? We have so much Hollywood imagery and zombies and things attacking us right now. What's the dead go? What are you talking about? Isn't it interesting that we're focused on zombies and all that? It's not, it's not a surprise we're focusing on the dead so much. is we're concerned. We don't know what happens. <laughs> we're concerned. So we'll just make the dead come back to life. At least we can hang out with them because I don't know where they go. But the reality is, I'd say you go to the place where and those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who've received the righteousness of Christ, they go to be with him in heaven. And those who haven't uh, abide in a place of darkness, a place of the absence of God. And then there will come a day when Christ will return. And then we will abide with God forever, new heaven, new earth. And we could get into the fact that that's when our bodies then will be. uh, We're not disembodied spirits when we're with God, but there's a mystery to who we are at that point. But there'll come a time when every man who was beheaded or tortured or are torn apart or burned at the stake. God will bring them together with a new resurrected body that they will have for eternity. I want you to understand this, though. When you die, you don't disappear. You don't become some ethereal presence. You abide with Christ. Luke 23, 43, Jesus said this to the thief on the cross. Truly, I say to you today, can you say today? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, some people believe you go into a soul sleep and you're not going to be with God until that final second coming. Here's the deal. If you believe that, I don't think we need to fight about it. But the reality is, you're going to close your eyes, and the moment you wake them up, you're going to be with Christ. So in the end, it doesn't really matter to me. It's the same thing. We are with Christ. But if you look at some of these scriptures, it's interesting that Paul, his struggle was he wanted to be with Christ. And so I believe that when we die, we're with Christ right away, because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he says to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. In Philippians 1, 23, he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So he believes the moment he dies, he's going to be with Christ. And you know why he believes that is because he died and he saw a third heaven and he understands that there's this place he wants to go to. And so he's torn. Think about the love the Apostle Paul had that he so much is trying to contend to stay alive to reach people, yet he's tasted the fullness of God by seeing a glimpse of heaven and seeing Christ in you know present on the Damascus road. But this is what I would tell my kids and what I would tell you, that that this life is not it, that there is an eternal existence that we will die and enter into the next life. And the moment I die, I will rise up to be with Christ. Hey, I want to just tell anybody who's afraid of death that I'm with you. Like, death used to freak me out, and sometimes it does. It's interesting. It's easier for me to talk about things than to hear things. You know what I'm talking about? You know what? I can talk about it, but I hear it. Kind of weird, right? So I'm feeling great. You're feeling horrible, right? But I just... I, if you've never... And this is, this is a tough area. This is life and death. This is close to us, Right? My wife was an RN in ICU. People died, saw all kinds of terrible things. She's very comfortable with it. I was not. And I remember as a pastor, part of being a pastor is you go and you abide with people when they're dying. And I didn't want to do that. There's nothing in me that wanted to do that. You can preach 20 sermons or go sit with someone as they're dying. I'm going to do the 20 sermons. God's like, no, you're not. You're going to go into Carol's room and you're going to hold her hand. And you're going to watch her as she leaves this life and enters into the next. Now, not all deaths are comforting because we've seen tragic things. But I'll tell you, when someone dies in the Lord, they're no longer there. It's not what you see on TV. and those, you, you, TV has never, or movies, they, they don't. You just go, uh, where did Carol go? And you know that immediately she is absent from that body, but present with her saviour. I remember going back in with Carol, uh, with Bill and he said he wanted a lock of her hair and Carol had lived with cancer for eight years and she should have died in one year and she lived eight years by faith. And we, we cut her hair and we looked at each other and said, she's not here, is she? And we both knew it. You, I didn't need to, let me take you to 3rd John. Like, I didn't need, she wasn't there. But we knew where she was. Because we had gotten glimpses of heaven from her every day of her life. We had seen heaven in our midst. We had heard the voice of God. We had experienced his glory. And now we knew she was in the fullness of it as well. So we die and we go to another place. I want to just look at some of the things that people argue with. And don't get mad at me if I disagree with you. I can't control you getting mad with me, can I? I wish that worked. Don't get mad with me. I said it, so you can't get mad. People struggle with this idea. Hell is unloving. Why would a loving God send people to hell? And this is what I want to get at. Why is there a hell and why is there a heaven? Well, I think it has to do with love. In the beginning, God created man... And he created woman in his image. In his image, he created us both male and female. He gave us power, dominion and authority. We have been made in the image of God. We are wonderfully made. Very good made. We are made different than the rest of creation. We were made to image God on earth, to carry out God's will on earth. If people said, what is God like? God would say they're what Adam and Eve are doing right now. We were to be expressions of God's glory emanations of His beauty. We are wonderfully made. Any theology that tells you that humans are made of this worthless gnat on the butt of a donkey is not God's theology. The Bible starts with how wonderfully made we are. The angry theologian starts with how sinful and horrible we are. Yes, we sin we do horrible things and we end up in the wrong place, but we started as powerful, wonderfully made human beings that God said, we're very good. He was pleased in our creation. And then God did something that He didn't do with the rest of nature. is He gave humans the ability to choose, volition, to say yes to Him or no to Him. And why is that so important that we can say yes to God or no to God? Because love is rooted in choice. I'll give you an example of this. Hey, uh, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. Follow me. Follow me. I need you to go where I go. Follow me. Okay, I want you to stop. You stop. Stay right there. Don't move. Stop. Stay there. Stay there. Okay, now I want you to follow me a little bit more. Come this way. Okay, I want you to sit down here. You're sitting over there. I want you to sit here now. I'm sorry, I was just loving on my brother. We were just. Does that feel like love? No. (laughs) By the way, if it does, we're going to need some counseling here. But uh, that's not love, that's force. It's force. Every love relationship requires a giving and a receiving, a saying yes. The reason you love your wife, you love your your husband. The reason you love your kids, you know, you love your kids because they come from you. But that's not enough. Well, I love you because you got you know my blood in you, my DNA. <laughs> Gotta love you. It's like no, I just I. Uh, I just I love being with you. I love love is a choice. In the very beginning, we see this because God put us in a garden and he said, "Okay, you can do my will or you can do other. And so he gave us the choice to do other. There has to be the choice to do other. If there's going to be the choice to do good, if there's no other choice, then it's not a choice, is it? I really believe we're going to live eternally. There's something in eternity where we all need to know that we made the choice. Now, God chose to love us and God started it and he finished it. And, I, you know, we don't do much. I get that. We're just little kids. But God didn't drag us through the super mall of eternity. And just like, come on. You tell him from Auburn, like the adequate mall of eternity. He didn't drag us through. No. He's like, you want to come with me? And we said, yes. And we raised our hands and well, no, we said yes. And then he held tight on us when we tried to get away and. And he tricked us to keep following. I mean, you know, we're still dumb little kids. But but he loved us. And he let us love him in return. You can't make people love you in return, can you? But you can give them the choice to love you in return. So because God has given us the choice to love him, he's given us the choice to not love him. And I think that happens in this life and throughout eternity. There's some people who say... Uh, Well, that's not fair. That's not a loving God. A loving God wouldn't send people to hell. And uh, then they accuse that I'm trying to make everybody afraid. But here's the deal. If God sends everyone to heaven, that doesn't make him any more loving. You ever think about this? This is just a good argument. Um, If everyone goes to heaven and what we did has no bearing on anything, then that means God allowed for some really horrible things. That have no meaning. He allowed for rapes and murders and dismemberments. and Everybody goes to heaven. I just kind of wanted my humanity to experience horrible pain. See, that doesn't make God any more loving. Even if you believe that, you're like, well, why would God allow those those things? And people will accuse someone who believes in hell as being not loving. But to me, I'd say God has given us a choice. And because he's given us a choice, a lot of evil occurs in this world. A lot of evil. But we know that we chose them from love. I have people who won't go to church because they're mad at God. They're mad at God. And they're like, why would God allow bad things to happen? And I'll tell them that. Well, God allowed bad things to happen. We have a choice. And if you have a choice to do good, you have a choice to do evil. And they're like, well, I'm mad that God would allow bad things to happen. And the way I'm going to demonstrate it is I'm never going to go to this church again. And I want to like, do you understand the logic of what you're doing? You are rebelling against me, severing our relationship Severing your relationship with everyone else and no one can force you to be with us, right? And you're saying the reason you're doing that is because God didn't force you to be in community and be loving. It would be like saying you have to stay here. You have to. The very exercise of rebellion is the thing that God gave them as a gift. He gave us the gift of rebellion. He gave us the gift to say no. He gave us the gift to run away. And even when you're parent, you better give your kids that gift. Because the gift for them should be to be able to make a choice to love you. Not, I better love him because I'm going to get punished or grounded or yelled at. No, there should be like, no, I chose to love my mom. I chose to love my dad. I chose to love this church. Not because they guilted me, but because I love them. Love is rooted in heaven and hell. And there's no way to get around it. Now, if there was no hell, would I be okay with that? Sure. Because I'm not God. God. But it's dangerous to come in and go, well, you know, I don't really like that. So I'm just going to get rid of it because you cannot read the script. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read through Revelations. You don't find Jesus or anyone ever saying, you know what? In the end, it'll all work itself out. You don't hear that. You don't hear that. Well, you know, you might You hear you better be ready for my return. You hear that you better take this time seriously. You hear that what you do on earth has eternal consequences. You hear that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and great regret by what we did here. And there are theologians out there who seem very comforting, who say, oh, you know, in the end, love works out in the end and it's fine. But, you know, you can't get that from the warnings. And so I have to actually preach what is there. Because it's dangerous and it's not any more loving. You mean God doesn't remotely care and eventually just makes us do what he wants us to do? See, I think humans are so dangerous That if we were brought to heaven without choosing him, we do something to heaven that would harm heaven. I think he made us so powerful. You don't understand. We have such tremendous capacity that God could express himself through a human. That he could become flesh. If God could abide amongst us in Jesus, then he has made us powerful. We ain't God. We ain't Jesus. But we have a power to express God. And if we've refused to follow God in eternity, that dangerous nature without any submission, without any surrender would do harm to creation. Maybe the same way Satan did harm or the angels did harm. Those mysteries as well. All right. Doug, I'm tired of hell. I've said hell more today than I have in five years of ministry. It's like whenever we go by a, a dam, like the Grand Coulee Dam, and we do all our damn jokes, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Because our kids are good. It's the only time they can sort of swear. You know, so you're like, okay. Go ahead, Sam. Give me your best one. There you go. So we've talked a lot about hell, but I don't want to leave you in hell. I want to end hey, in heaven. Give them hell. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> wow. Here's what we know. God loves us and he's here now. And if you want a taste of what heaven is, you find God now. Amen. I understand hell and heaven in the light of eternity. But I understand heaven and hell in the light of God's presence in the room. Close with a story. My, um, my family were very different. By the way, Dan is such a good pastor. And, and here's the deal. I don't know how to say this where people think I'm tearing myself down. But I really struggle with liking people. <laughs> and hanging out with people. And being with people. And there's a lot of that in ministry. I don't know if you know that. I just thought I was preaching and walking out the back door. That's not how it works. <laughs> but he genuinely loves you. Probably too much. I mean, I, No, he loves you. And uh, you need to bring people in to experience that love. This church is just on the edge of something. I, I, I really believe there's a different calling for your church than our church. And if you'd believe in that love, that, that alone... Bringing people like, I know I'm loved. I don't know if I agree with everything you just preached, but I know I'm loved. I know Christ is here. You'll be a vibrant community. But we're very different. In my family, I'm the middle child. I try to make everybody get along, and I worry about everything. Everything. I'm worried right now. Tell me something about your life. I'll find something to worry about. That's me. I just worry. And, oh man, eternity. and You can't figure it out, right? And as a little kid, it would freak me out. It's really cool. None of my kids have this neurosis. I had enough for all of them. And so I would share the bed with my older brother, Jeff. He's three years older than me. And Jeff is very linear, engineer, just like that. And so I'm in bed, like freaking out. And you say, Doug, think about this that uh, the universe just goes on and on and on and on until there's nothing. It just ends. Good night. And just go to sleep, you know. Some of you have spouses like that. <clears throat> and I didn't have Facebook or the internet to go keep me busy, right? You know? And so I, then I would slide out of the bed and start crawling to the door because I knew he'd yell at me if I woke him up. I mean, he'd just like, "What are you doing?" You know? And and then I ran down the hall in tears. And my dad, who'd been a school teacher, had that school teacher hangover. He's just kind of watching TV and. And then I'd or reading his Bible. It depends. Sometimes reading his Bible, sometimes watching Monty Python, but it depends. Like he'd be he'd be out there. And that tells you how we were formed there, that balance. But I would I would sit in his lap, bawling, and he'd say, It's okay, Doug. It's okay. God's good. You don't have to figure it out. God is good. You're never going to regret what God has done. You're never going to feel bad about what God has done. In heaven, you're not going to be like, oh, God made some bad choices. You're, you're going to feel good. You'll understand. You don't understand now, Doug. You can't understand. You don't have to understand. And you pray for the peace of God and the presence of you guys. And so listen to what God is saying to you. Because he's saying, I love you. I'm with you. You don't have to worry. He's fathering you. He's parenting you. And then the things you don't understand, just place them in God's hand. Because I think that's our fear of hell and heaven is the unknown. But we approach this just like anything else by faith. We have faith that we have a good God who has paid the price for our sins, who has made us righteous to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness has been established in our hearts so that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even death. And therefore, for all eternity, we can abide securely in God. And for those who have not chosen God those who decided that God is not going to be their God, decided to serve themselves instead of God, decided to serve the created instead of Him, then God said, as you wish. See, love doesn't make you follow, so the wrath of God is the love of God. Romans says the wrath of God is to hand us over to our own devices on earth and for eternity. Some of you are under the wrath of God because God is saying, as you wish. You don't want me? I'll let you receive the fruit of a life without me. He's not doing anything. He's just removed his control in your life because he's not going to control you. But today, as we close, I want to ask you this. Do you have heaven now? Has the kingdom come now to you? Or are you living in hell? A place of darkness, a place of sadness, a place of fear, a place of torment. Do you have the peace that passes understanding, abiding in Christ? Or do you have the torment and fear of living in a hellish existence? Because that's what God's concerned about. He's concerned about you. We're not the judges of others. He will be merciful and loving. And depending upon what people received or didn't receive, God knows. God understands. We don't know. We don't know who's going to heaven and hell. We don't know. The thief cried out at the cross. We don't know. People might have cried out their last breath. We never heard it. We don't know. God saves. God's a saving God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. I believe many, many, many will be called in the kingdom of God. But we don't worry about them right now. We think about you. Are you abiding in heaven or hell? Has the kingdom of God come? And are you happy about your future or are you terrified? Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I've spoken a long time and you've been very gracious. And Sometimes time can feel like hell and sometimes it can feel like heaven. Some of the things we're doing fly by so quickly. It just seemed meaningless. Weeks turn into weeks, turn into weeks. Kids grow up far too soon. Things pass us by. Some of us are living in perpetual sadness. We're looking forward to a day that never comes. God is here. God is here. He abides in this room. And in every room, when everyone has abandoned you and you're alone, God's still here. He's still here. The Lord has not given up on you, this is the season of His favor. If God is calling you to lay down your life and enter into him, then choose him today. If you've never given your life to Christ or, you know, today is the day to firmly believe to that commitment. I want you to raise your hand if you're either recommitting your life to Christ or receiving Christ. Today, I won't point you out. I mean, I won't bring you up or anything, but I do want to see your hand go up so you know that we're sharing this together. If you want to give your life to Christ today for salvation unto eternal life, would you raise your hand? Anybody here? I see you. What a great day for you. What a great day. What a great day. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? What a great day. This is a good day. (laughs) Now, you don't have to do a bunch of things. Like, don't. This is God carries us, right? It's just like, Lord, yes, you can carry me. You're my righteousness. You died for my sins. You took my sins. You've taken any punishment on the cross. I just receive your grace and your love and your mercy. And I receive you. And I'm going to just die to myself and live for you. Live in the newness of life that is rooted in you. I'm not going to be afraid. And when I'm afraid, I'm going to come to you and gain your strength. Thank you. As you come to Christ, just give him every sin, just every sin. Just say, Lord, I give you everything. Give him every good thing about you, every bad thing about you. Just give him everything. Say, I want the universe of your goodness to overwhelm my little universe. I need the dimension of your existence to bump into mine and to transform me. I need to be a new creation. I don't want to just be a little better. I need transformation. Transformation. Help me to taste heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. I want—if you've raised your hand and you've recommitted your life or given your life to Christ, you need to tell someone you trust, because uh, you'll be attacked this week and things will go horrible. And just tell someone. Say, "I gave my life to Christ. No turning back," and they'll support you. And if they don't, then you probably should tell someone that will support you and get them saved too. Okay. Uh, I just want to give you one thing, and it might sound awkward, but it's on my heart. I work along with the Bible League uh, through my radio show. I used to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars. I quit the radio show. The Lord called me to quit that. But I still feel like I'm supposed to do something while I figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. And so I've committed uh, to raise enough for a thousand Bibles to go to Africa through the Bible League. It's five dollars a Bible. I've traveled to Ethiopia with the Bible League. Uh, The word of God is the only hope. We're not going to fight Islam with swords. It's the word of God that transforms communities. And there's an amazing church in Africa that's hurting right now. In Ethiopia, they had several martyred beheaded. I got to see the church in Ethiopia. And they're a brave church. And they just asked that we would support them in the vision. And the vision is they need the word of God. We hand out Bibles like this. Uh, Most will never own a Bible unless you give it to them. And so... uh, if you want to support that, no pressure. This is what I'd ask you to do. It's $5 per Bible. I've raised 200 so far. Uh, we're trying to get to 1,000 Bibles. Uh, here's two ways to give. One, I have a website called fairlyspiritual.org. Fairlyspiritual.org. You see Bible League all over. Click anywhere there. You can donate. Do it through that because I want to keep track of this, that we did this. The other one, I think I'm only pastor like this in the U.S., but I actually have with the Bible League where you can call their 1-800 number and say that Doug sent you. So here's the number. The number is 1-800-YES-WORD. And just say, I heard about it from Doug. And then the reason I want you to say that, then they'll be able to show who gave. If it's $20, it's $100. If it's nothing. Please, by the way, if you don't want to do not Oh, I gotta. don't give. Please, not about that. I just need to share that. If that's a way you feel like responding to this message, that would be a blessing. So you can either go 1-800-YES-WORD are man that's about as evangelistic as i've ever gotten with a 800 number but it's good work as well love you guys god bless you